you and I meet people of great talent and ability, quite frequently we do not realize all it took for them to become who they really are. We often don't look back and see the kind of education they had to go through, the difficulties that they faced in their life when they were young, those people who opened doors for them to make things possible. When you and I study about the life of Moses, we are impressed that this great man of God was able to do all the wonderful things which God had challenged him to do, and yet sometimes we don't realize all that it took to make Moses who Moses became. The theme verse for our series of lessons, and this is the third of the fifth series, has been Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3. And the text reads, Now the man Moses was very humble, the King James, very meek, more than all who were on the face of the earth. Moses didn't start out ready to serve God, but Moses became that great servant. The previous lesson that we studied last week was to look at Moses' attempt to try to escape the job that God had given him to do. And he provided excuse after excuse, and yet God answered each and every one of those excuses. What I always find interesting and intriguing is that when you first look at Exodus chapters 1 and 2, Moses thinks that he is ready to lead God's people, and he's not. Then when you look at Exodus chapters 3 and 4, after Moses has now spent 40 years in the wilderness, and God now has him trained to do his job, he doesn't think he's capable of doing it. Sometimes when we're young, we have a tremendous enthusiasm, and we want to do everything, and we find out we're not ready. Then there's times when we get a little older, we've got the experience, we've got the ability, and now we don't have the confidence that we need in doing so. Well, this lesson, Moses is going to face a huge challenge. In fact, he's going to do what God told him to do, and that is to go to Pharaoh. And so here's what we want to do this morning in our lesson. And you can keep your Bibles open to the book of Exodus, and we're going to look at chapters 5 through 15. Obviously, we're not going to read all those verses. What we're going to do is to try to look at them under some broad summaries. We're going to look, first of all, at the petition that he placed before Pharaoh and the problems that it brought. Second of all, we want to look at the plagues. And we often talk about the plagues that the children of Israel um, did not experience, but the Egyptians did. And then the prevailing, how God's plan worked out. Let's begin first of all, and Brother Willard read to us just a few moments ago from chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and I want you to notice particularly what we see in verse 2. God has sent Moses to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice, and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. 
The message is really very simple. Pharaoh, let my people go. It's a message from God, and yet Pharaoh doesn't like the message. In fact, he refused to acknowledge God. Do you know this? He says, I do not know the Lord. Now that doesn't mean he didn't know that the Hebrews had their own God. It does not mean that he does not even somehow been able to research the annals and see what Joseph had done through the blessings of his God. But even though Pharaoh was a worshiper of many gods, he didn't acknowledge, he did not recognize the true God. I want you to think about that kind of message being presented to a world ruler today. Imagine President Assad of Syria being told, okay, you let these people go from Syria. You know what he's going to say? No way. Imagine going to some of the Muslim countries like Saudi Arabia or Iran and say to them, okay, you let all the Christians go in peace in your country. No, no, we're not going to do that. Imagine even approaching the president of our country and saying, you will do this because God said so. You see, we live in a world today that, just like Pharaoh, does not respect the authority of the God of heaven. Now, as you go a little bit further in chapter 5, you realize, though, that there are some consequences. So I want you to look down at your text or either look up on the screen and let's consider what Moses goes on to record. And Pharaoh said, look the people of the land are many now and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather the straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of brick which they had made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it. Let them not regard false words. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go, get yourselves straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry saying, fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? Now, Pharaoh's response was harsh. And in fact, it was so harsh and it was so difficult that no one anticipated this. Pharaoh, or uh, the children of Israel didn't anticipate it. Moses didn't anticipate it. 
In fact, the people, once they were put under this great stress, went from being grateful to grumbling. I'd imagine we would too. In fact, if you will look at a contrast between chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, where when Moses says, I'm going to ask for you to be released because God has commanded this, the people, it said in verse 31, bowed their heads and worshipped. They were thrilled with the message. And yet, when you get to chapter 5, verse 21, they said to Moses, let, and let the Lord look on you and judge, for, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of the servants, and put a sword in their hand. Moses, you've made our life worse. And so what does Moses do? After all, we're talking about the making of Moses. Moses looked to God and asked two questions. They're found in chapter 5 and chapter 6. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord... Why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you have sent me? You can imagine Moses is looking at this and wondering, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to this people? Lord, why did you do this? When you come to chapter 6, verse 12 and verse 30, and Moses spoke before the Lord saying, the children of Israel have not heeded me, How shall then Pharaoh heed me, for I am a man of uncircumcised lips? Lord, why did you send me? The children of Israel won't even listen to me. And how is Pharaoh going to listen to me? Then chapter 6, verse 30, Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? The very first thing that I want you to think about when you read this section is here's a petition that God gave Moses to present and it's not turned out well. There's been problems. Well, Moses, what does God want you to do? Chapter 7, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. Oh, God's given him a job. You've got to go and to do it. Now, as we move a little bit further, we recognize that there are plagues that are going to be brought. I want you to look with me, particularly now, chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. God tells Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. I think that's a wonderful passage. You remember chapter 5, verse 2, what Pharaoh said? I do not know the Lord. You know what God said? You're going to know me before it's over with. And so... God had a reason for the plagues to teach Pharaoh, to teach the Egyptians, to teach the children of Israel that God was going to lead them out by a mighty hand. And you know what's interesting? 
When I go to Psalms 106 and I read David, David tells us even Israel didn't appreciate what this was. He said, our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. What that tells me is from the time that God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go until the time that God brought them to the Red Sea and all those plagues were brought, they didn't appreciate them. They didn't recognize them for what they were. Had they recognized them, they would have definitely not rebelled at the Red Sea. There were ten plagues. These were miracles that answered the gods of Egypt. Initially, when I planned this lesson, I thought about taking each of the ten plagues and taking the gods of Egypt and pairing them with them. What happened to me after about uh, 30 minutes is I'm trying to remember which god goes with which plague, and I thought, well, if I do that, by the time you get out the back door, you won't remember which one of them. So rather than doing that, I just want to bring up chapter 12, verse 12. He said, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike the firstborn of all of Egypt, both man and beast, against the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. You see, the truth is, is that when you look at all the plagues, all ten of them, you recognize each and every one of those plagues answered one of their gods. And all when you begin to look at them, you recognize that we live in a world today that still does not appreciate that. When you read some of the modernists, some of the liberals, they try to say, well, this was all purely naturalistic. But you see, the truth is there's too many coincidences. For instance... God may have used natural elements to do this, just like he used water with the flood. But they followed an announcement. There's going to be frogs. And guess what? There were frogs. There are going to be flies. Guess what? There were flies. The cattle are going to be diseased. But here's, guess what? The Egyptians' cattle were diseased, but the children of Israel wasn't. Since when can you have a disease that discriminates on the base of nationality? There are three cycles of it, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time individually on the plagues. I'd like to put a little chart in front of you. And I want you to notice plagues 1 Three or one, four, and seven were all announced beside of the river Nile. Two, five, and eight were announced at the palace. Three, six, and nine were all unannounced. There was three cycles, you know, one, two, and three, by the river Nile, by the pal in the palace, and then unannounced. And the final tenth one was the death of the firstborn. And you know, as you study through each of these various plagues, we sometimes may look at them and may even smile and laugh. You know, I think about just the plague of the frogs. 
You know, when I was a little boy, that was one of the things we liked to do. You'd go get a frog, you put it in your pocket. You go back home, your mom will be ready to wash your clothes, and she's going through everything. She's opening up the pockets, and she finds a frog. Everybody thinks that's funny. But imagine you women getting ready to fix the meal, and you pull the pans out, and in every one of your pans is a frog. First one you might laugh at. But by the time you pull that last glass out of the cabinet and it's got a frog in it, and when you go to get in your bed and you pull back the sheets and there's frogs there, it's not funny anymore. Those slimy, stinky creatures are everywhere and they stink. You think about things, for instance, just like the lice or the gnats. There's a little bit of dispute dispute about what the word Hebrew word is there most of the scholars now think they were the little small gnats you know you take the dust and you throw it and it becomes gnats or lice everywhere all of these plagues were answering the various gods of Egypt oh where it's the god of the sun darkness whether they worship their animals, they're diseased. You look at the god of vegetation, the hail and the locust. Oh, everything is not left untouched. And all the land of Egypt, except for Goshen, has to experience all these things. Now very quickly, let's talk about God prevailing Everything that God had said through Moses came true. And God prevailed. Look with me at Exodus chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Then he called for Moses and Aaron that by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. Go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks, your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. When it came to that final plague, the death of the firstborn, God finally had Pharaoh's attention. Leave. Go as you have said. But bless me. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I do not know the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Exodus 5 verse 2. He knows the Lord now and he knows the Lord has greater power than any of the gods of Egypt. When you drop down to verses 35 and 36, there was the spoiling of the Egyptians. God had put it the favor of the children of Israel in the hearts of the Egyptians. They asked from them various items of gold and silver and clothing and God granted them that favor as they requested they plundered the Egyptians. God wanted the people to remember his deliverance. When you get to chapter 13, I want you to notice, I'm going to have to survey through this very quickly. He says, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by the strength of the Lord has he brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten 
On this day you are going out in the month of Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, this land of flowing milk and honey, he said, last part of verse 5, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast of the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. Then he says, verse 8, You shall tell your son in that day, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes. You see, this is something they're going to keep year after year. It is a memorial. The deliverance was completed when they passed through the Red Sea and brought about by the death of the enemy. Chapter 14, verses 13 through 18 describes that you're going to see these people no more. The Pharaoh's army then was buried in that sea and there was an end to that Egyptian bondage. I've tried to go through that as quickly as possible so I could spend a little time to talk about what this means to us. You know, when we read and study a section of God's Word, it's very easy to just look and say, yep, that's what happened. But what do you and I take away from it? What's that going to mean to us as we live today? One of the first lessons is is that short-term problems often accompany obedience to God's commands. God tells us to do something and we somehow have this idea that if I obey the gospel, if I come forward and I say, I want to be baptized for the remission of my sins, that now everything is going to be perfect with me. No, it won't be. In 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. You shouldn't be surprised that when you become a Christian, those who don't love God are going to persecute you. Second lesson, people will complain when difficulties come. Oh, a preacher gets up and preaches a strong doctrinal sermon. Remember a little over a year ago when Brother Ben Bailey preached a very strong biblical lesson about the role of homosexuality in God's plans and how that there were people who made such a great ordeal about it, how he was attacked because of preaching God's word. And when the the attacks come, people say, oh, maybe we ought to back off. When a church practices church discipline, there's always going to be people say, oh, we can't be that strong. We can't. No. Yes, we've got to do what God said, and even we've got to be prepared to accept the difficulties that come without complaining. Number three, God provides deliverance but he requires our cooperation. You see, in the bringing of all these plagues upon the children of Israel, 
God still required Moses and the children of Israel to do something. In fact, with regard to the tenth plague, they were to take the blood and to put it on the doorpost and on the lentils. And they were to do so so that when the angel passed over that home and saw the blood, the angel would continue to pass over. God led them all the way through to the Red Sea and God commanded them to go through the water. And someone says, well, you're, you're just stretching that. No, no, no. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, says, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those children of Israel who passed through the sea. And he says, we're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You see, if we follow God, we're going to follow him all the way to and through water. Number four, when God says go, he means go. When he told Pharaoh to let his people go, he meant that. When he told Moses to go tell Pharaoh that, he meant that. Just like he did when he told Jonah. In fact, he told him the second time, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach the message that I tell you. But you see, whenever God gives us a task, he always gives us the ability to perform it. He doesn't leave us without the tools necessary. You know, Moses was so concerned. Lord, what if they won't believe me? He said, you see that staff in your hand? Throw it on the ground. It becomes a serpent. They won't believe that. We're going to have turn water to blood. God has given us a task to go into all the world. Has he given us the ability to do so? Absolutely. Romans 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation. That word of God is living and active or living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Number six, we may not always understand God's means and methods, but we always must trust Him and humbly submit. I'd suggest to you that if there's anything out of all these lessons that we have learned is, is that God made Moses the man that he was because he said, Moses, do this. Moses sometimes was hesitant and even resistant, but he complied. He humbly ended up saying, okay, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'll do. You and I sometimes, we may not always understand, but when God tells us to do something, we must do it. And finally, the memorials. I didn't spend a lot of time talking about that great Passover feast that was a part of the death of the firstborn. But God said, I want you to, to remember that every year. You know, this morning, just about this time, 15 years ago, the Twin Towers in New York City fell. Most of us can remember vividly where we were and what we were doing when the towers fell. And our country today in many places are celebrating that memorial to remember. God said to the children of Israel, I want you to remember 
this event. Don't let it go away from you. Those of us who are Christians don't need to look back to that Egyptian deliverance. We look back to the deliverance brought by the blood of Christ. And Jesus said, in writing through the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26, this do in remembrance or memory of me. Pharaoh, like many of our world leaders, had trouble being humble before God. We are at our best when we humble ourselves and see ourselves as a tool in God's hands. What can God do with me? A lot if I'll follow what he tells me to do. If I'll become the person God wants to make me into, don't be resistant. Don't say I'll do something else. Do what God wants you to do. And we ought to remember the great things that God has done for us and trying to prepare us for being a great servant of His. This morning, if you are not a Christian, the Lord invites you to come to Him. In fact, Matthew 11, verse 29, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He extends an invitation to come believing that he's the Christ, repenting of our sins, confessing that faith and being baptized. What a wonderful joy it would be this morning to see one pass through the water and see deliverance on the other side. If you're a Christian and you need to be restored to faithfulness, Why not take the great privilege we have now as together we stand and sing?